Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast. On a crazy Wednesday, it's early National Letter of Intent Day. We're also previewing USC and Oregon. Got a lot to get to, and we're just kind of put a show together for you all because it's been a really nutty day, like I said. Um, USC ended up signing 20 uh, new prospects, uh, 19 uh, incoming freshmen, and then one uh, transfer into the program. And we got to talk to Clay Helton a little bit earlier today. We're actually going to do a Tunnel Vision show Wednesday night live. We'll talk more about signing day and, and previewing USC Oregon. And, and today I'll have Matt Prem on. He does a great job covering the Ducks for Duck Territory. So that'll be coming up a little bit later on in the show. But I wanted to talk a little bit about National Letter of Intent Day or the early signing period starting today on Wednesday before we get into all that. If you have any questions or comments for the show, podcast at uscfootball.com, or you could call or text 424-254-9141. If you have an Apple podcasting app on any of your devices, please subscribe to the Peristyle Podcast. Leave us a five-star rating. Any kind of comments, feedback, suggestions you have, we do appreciate that. It certainly helps us to grow the show. I think we had one question in that came in after the shows this week. We've done a bunch of podcasts already, and we'll continue to do them, leading up to, uh, of course, today is signing day, but also the Pac-12 championship game with Oregon. Like I said, we'll get into a detailed preview about that a little bit later, but first I want to talk about signing day as of right now, as the time I'm recording this. If you look at uh, where USC is um, ranked uh, as far as the class rank, it is nationally number 11 in the country. Uh, last year, remember, it was number 64, so that's better. And uh, right now, number two in the Pac-12 behind um, Oregon. Last year, it was number 12 in the Pac-12. So, yes, much better. Um, you look at the breakdown, about half the players are coming from the state of California. Four of them coming in from uh, the state of Texas. And then uh, you got like someone from Arizona, Florida, Maryland, Nevada, Utah, and Washington. The, the big news is having two quarterbacks in the class. The first quarterbacks the Trojans signed since um, Keaton Slovis in class of 2019. But Miller Moss uh, from Bishop Alamany High School, he had actually transferred to modern day, but they weren't able to have a season. And then Jackson Dart, who did have a season uh, at Corner Canyon and Draper, Utah. He's uh, someone that kind of rose onto the scene late. Uh, both of them are four-star quarterbacks, pro-style quarterbacks, uh, but both have some athleticism and um, we have a clip actually, uh, talking about the quarterbacks and I'll play that for you. A couple of them actually, we'll play that for you from the CBS show. Um, the CBS show that was the national signing day show that was live. So we had Barton Simmons and Greg Biggins and a bunch of guys talking about, uh, USC's recruiting class. So we'll play that for you, but, um, there's still some big fish, uh, out there for the Trojans. Uh, to get. So the biggest one is uh, Corey Foreman, and he's the five-star number one player in the country, a defensive end. If you remember you're from Corona Centennial High School, uh, he played with Drake Jackson uh, there, and that was kind of his big brother. A lot of people thought he'd end up at USC, committed to Clemson at one time, 
Uh, we're still waiting to hear uh, on where he's going to go, but we do have a clip that talks about that, and then it's going to talk a little bit about um, the quarterback situation. And uh, so we'll play this for you and uh, just to give you some more information on what's going on. I'm interested, Greg, we've talked about it in the studio, but to get your perspective, the very latest here, what are you feeling on Corey Foreman? So I'm still kind of feeling USC. I know that's kind of been the buzz all day, the last last couple of days, and he's kind of been all over the place. It's, it's been a fluid recruitment, obviously, as, as Steve has talked about. It was, you know, Clemson, and then I thought, uh, you know, Clemson was out of it. He recently visited. Uh, they're back in it. Arizona State got his last visit. They're doing a really good job recruiting him as well. But I feel like USC has kind of always been uh, the familiar school, the hometown school. They're obviously doing much better this year. He's got a great relationship with the coaching staff. Several players on the team likes the scheme, likes the defense. Uh, just really has a, like I said, a comfort level there. So uh, the only hesitation for me uh, with Corey and USC, it almost seemed like it's too easy, right? Corey's a guy who I always think he wants this to be mysterious and wants to shock the world. And right now, USC has so much buzz so it almost kind of seems like that's the obvious choice therefore it, it can't be the choice so i'm curious like everyone else's greg you know you mentioned something there and especially when you got a california kid and then you get some of these southern schools in the mix clemson and georgia and lsu there almost is that tendency you're absolutely right because people who are even just casual observers of recruiting they don't want to accept several months ahead of time that hometown kid, he's just going to stay home. We got LSU involved here. There's got to be a reason. George is involved here. Got to be a reason. And yet, you know, I look at your crystal ball and I look at several other crystal balls and, you know, they've kind of been left and right all over the place. But USC has been a mainstay. And the closer we get to this announcement, the closer we get to the possibility, if not likelihood, that he remains in the state of California. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, we talked about this, Steve and myself and, and Brandon Huffman. Just we've seen this movie so many times where a Southern California kid is set to leave home. And literally that, that morning he wakes up and, and can't do it. Now, Corey's already shown that he can do it, right? He already was a Clemson commit for, you know, for a few months at least. And, and I do think he has sincere interest in leaving home. I don't think that's an issue for him. I do think his family, though, would love for him to maybe stay closer to home. And, and again, I, I think familiarity is, is big for Corey. Remember, USC was the childhood favorite. That's the school that he always kind of dreamt of going to when he was young. So uh, he kind of said no to that dream last year. Uh, you know, things weren't as good for USC as they are right now. And I think right now they're looking like, hey, you don't have to leave home to get developed. You don't have to, you don't have to leave home uh, to be a first-round pick. I think Drake Jackson, his good friend from Centennial, has a great chance to be a first-rounder three and out next year. And I think Corey sees that. He'll, he'll be used in a, in a kind of a similar way, outside linebacker, pass rushing, defensive end. And So I, I think right now, again, I'm, I'm leaning SC, uh, but I'm not ready to change my, my crystal ball just yet. Greg, let me ask you about the quarterback situation there at Southern Cal, too, because a lot of spotlight was put on Garcia, Jake Garcia, and, and the decommitment there. But also, we've got a situation where we watched Jackson Dart commit to USC earlier. And so the overall quarterback depth chart now and the overall quarterback situation, how does it feel now as opposed to what it looked like a couple of weeks ago? So I, I think the plan was always to take two quarterbacks. I think a lot of people don't, don't really know this. After Keenan Slovis, they don't really have a, a whole lot. So even if they took three quarterbacks this year, uh, I, for me, that, that wouldn't have been too many. I, I think uh, realistically they could use a grad transfer because they really should probably split those classes up. 
uh, Jackson Dart, Miller Moss, they'll go in competing for that uh, that number two spot as soon as you know this spring. So um, I like both kids a lot. Uh, Miller Moss is a guy I've been watching since he was a freshman, sophomore in high school. I think he's kind of been a little under the radar. No football out here in California, unfortunately. Um, I, I think Miller can play, and obviously Jackson Dart talked about him a ton already this morning. You know, high, high physical tools, right? High level athlete, big, six three, two fifteen. When he runs, he looks like a fullback, but he can absolutely throw the football. And, and so I think both those two kids, ironically, they, they train together oftentimes out here in, in Southern California, know each other really well. So uh, from a competitive standpoint, obviously, uh, both these guys know what the other guy was going to do and, and still feel like, hey, I, I can beat this guy out. So it's going to be fun watching those two guys compete. But, uh, you know, right now, USC, the, the depth chart, the, the quarterback room looks a lot stronger. I would still maybe try to get one more guy, a grad transfer, maybe to kind of just split those classes up a little bit. All right. Good stuff there. Now we have one more clip, and uh, this is on more on the quarterback uh, situation. So this is Barton Simmons talking about the two quarterbacks that USC brought in, you know, the potential to maybe bring in like a grad transfer or something like that too, because USC, you know, Matt Fink and uh, Keen Slovers, the only quarterbacks, scholarship quarterbacks on the roster right now. So needed to bring in two, but you might want to bring in a transfer as well. So let me play this clip for you from Barton. And Barton, so let's kick it back to the USC quarterback situation here for a second. Jackson Dart, Miller Moss, uh, both in the same class. Now, we know on one hand that's really good for quarterback depth, and they needed it sorely behind Slovis at USC. But yet, here's what recent history also tells us. Recent history also tells us those are guys are going to go in and compete, and one of them's going to win the job in all likelihood very soon. And then it leaves us to ask what's going to happen with the other. That's only natural at this point. You know what else recent history tells us? It's that when a quarterback is the second quarterback taken in a class and he goes in willing to compete with a higher regarded player, that kid typically ends up being pretty good. Yeah. Um, a great example of one is, and I mentioned Sam Darnold earlier in the show, that's what happened with him, but also how about Mac Jones mm-hmm. at Alabama? I mean, he was actually the first commit there, and Tua came in after him, but he didn't waver. He stuck around. And so I think that both of these guys in Miller Moss and Jackson Dart want to be on this commit list together and are willing to go and compete against each other, I think speaks to their confidence and, and I think is a good indicator of future success. In particular, Jackson Dart is the guy that he's the late riser. He believes in himself. He's going to go in. I don't care what you're ranked because when he was a three-star, that was when his buzz started to pick up. And so... I like what USC has got right now. Um, they're going to continue to build depth behind those guys, but uh, there's, there's no question that their quarterback room and their team is stronger with this group coming in. Independent of where they're committed, they both happen to be committed to the same program, but just in terms of the player profiles here, Jackson Dart, Miller Moss, like if you're running, uh, you run Barton A&M, so you got yeah. Barton A&M, they're, they're both committed there. What do you like about each respective player? I think Miller Moss is very polished. He's accurate. He is composed. He is a he's very clean in his mechanics. He's but I don't know that he has necessarily the uh, the big play dynamic ability that Jackson Dart brings. Uh, I think Jackson is a little bit more of a versatile playmaker outside of the pocket. He's a baseball guy. You can kind of see that in his delivery. See that in the way he makes plays when the play breaks down. Uh, and, and so I think perhaps. Higher floor, Miller Moss, higher ceiling, Jackson Dart. Uh, but both those guys, I, I think, can operate in that Graham Harrell system if that's, in fact, the, the system that's implemented at USC moving forward. All right, good stuff there. Just overall, if you looked at the class last year, just weren't signing a lot of the top players in California. And 
glancing at the list uh, right now, those top players, you know, in California, you got um, you know Corey Foreman up at the top, and USC's got a you know legit shot to sign Corey, so that's you know that's a good one. And there's a you know a Rayshon Davis uh, from Modern Day who's committed to LSU. I mean, there's a chance for the Trojans there. Um, you know, USC has a top five player in the state of California in Miller Moss. And, uh, you know, also, uh, Chiron Ware Hudson, who's a number 11 player. Um, you know, they still have a chance at Sayer Wright, the Loyola high school, uh, cornerback who hasn't, who won't, he won't decide until, um, February. So, you know, there a few guys in the top 10 that USC still, after, but you know, looking down the list, you got Prophet Brown um, from Elk Grove, cornerback. He's number fourteen in, in the state. Jay Toya, the defensive tackle, he's number fifteen. He signed with the Trojans. Kalen Bullock um, from Pasadena can do it all. Athlete, uh, he's also signed with the Trojan. Anthony Beavers from Narbonne High School, he's number nineteen. So a bunch of guys that are in the top twenty, and uh, you know, there's as Marion Gordon, who's number twenty-seven. Jalen Smith is number twenty-nine. So there's a bunch of dudes uh, in, um, you know, the top 30 players in the state that are signing with uh, USC. So I think that's a good thing. Um, you know, it's, it's a much better than what we saw uh, last year overall. So, you know, this is an improvement. Where does this class end up? I think it's going to depend on those big fish that Clay Helton talked about when we heard from him on the Zoom call uh, later on. You know, what do they get? A, a Corey Foreman is a huge boost, obviously, to the class you want to get a five-star guy in there getting a guy like say say you're right i mean there's big big jump in the in the numbers i think for the class like right now being at number 11 you get a guy like that you know Corey foreman you're going to be in the top 10 for sure okay uh we did a question too so let me i'll read you this one and then we'll get to our preview this is from uh nick from cyprus big nick 21 usc from the p he says hello trojan fans first we are Pac-12 South champs and regular season undefeated. Question is, how would you rate the season if Clay wins the Pac-12 title with USC? Uh, how would you rate him this season? Fight on uh, from Big Nick. Well, yeah, going undefeated is what you want to do. We heard from Clay Helton. He talked about, I actually asked him about, are you getting you know, screwed a little bit here by the, you know, the college football playoff committee? you know, being number 13 in the country. And he said, I'm going to be biased. I think we're a top 10 team. He says, we're going one and zero every week. And that's all they can do. That the problem is Nick is, you know, the committee did take an, you know, take into consideration who you played and how you looked, who you played. You can't control, right? There's no, you can't change the schedule. You, you come up there, you, you miss one game. And it happens to be against the best team in the South who we didn't think would be the best team in the South, but they were, they're four and one Colorado. And they're sort of in limbo right now. Uh, so you missed that. And the other teams, you know, haven't been that great. Now, I think Arizona State's played a lot better. If you played them now, that could be a good game. Um, Utah's playing a lot better. Um, you know, USC got Utah in the very first game. I think if USC plays them now, it's going to be a little bit different game. But you look at this Arizona squad, and they are god-awful. And USC needed a fourth-quarter comeback, a last-two-minute comeback to beat them. And Arizona State, you saw that. That was a 99.9% chance that they'd lose that game. They won, but the committee saw this. And they're seeing teams, like these teams that USC is barely beating, losing to other teams that aren't very good. And so they're like, well, if USC is really good, we want them to look like Ohio State and just 
crush these teams, and USC isn't crushing the team. So I think that's part of the problem. If USC was 5-0 and and looked dominant, I think they would definitely be in the top 10. I think that's a, a le- you know legit move up if you look the part. USC just hasn't looked the part. Now, you could argue they don't need to look the part because really the only important thing is winning the Pac-12 and going to a New Year's Six Bowl. I, I would understand that argument. You would have a higher ranking if you looked better. But I don't think USC would be in the championship game. The only, I mean, I didn't even think there'd be a shot unless USC and Oregon were undefeated and they played all their games. And that didn't happen for either squad. And Oregon's three and two. You know, they lost to Cal and they lost to Oregon State. So that's who you get to impress the committee with in a game like that. Um, it would have been better to play a Washington that has one loss or a Colorado that has one loss. So I don't think the playoff was really in reach, even though the ESPN keeps putting up graphics like from their FPI or whatever saying that these are the percentages that you can USC can make it in. It's like, no way, dude. They, they're they undefeated and they're number 13. Um, I don't think they're jumping up you know, above any of those teams or many of those teams. So, but you would have moved up more if you looked better doing it. And, you know, that's kind of where it is. As far as Clay Helton's um, performance, I mean, I like the offseason stuff. I like the additions of the coaches that were there. Um, I mean, a lot of this was athletic administration, like pushing that through. Also, you know, investing more into the recruiting uh, machine. And there's a lot of that that's been going on. I think that's all been helpful. But, if I look at this team overall and you look at the talent and you look at the level that they've played at, it's hard to give Clay Hilton a ton of credit. Like, wow, this looks like a really well-coached team. I'll give Clay Hilton credit for they didn't give up and they fought hard at the end and they had all these comeback wins. I think you have to, some of that's going to be on the coaches, right? I mean, it's, it. yes, the players are out there making crazy plays, but there's, I think, Clay Helton's teams in the past would have lost two or three of those games that were close this year, and they didn't this year. So I think that's progress. But I also don't think you should be in that situation. I mean, I don't think against an Arizona squad that's lost 12 in a row and lost 70-7 to to their arch rival, you don't, you don't need a two-minute, last two-minute comeback in that game. Uh, the, the Scott Van Pelt um, bad beat segment where UCLA was covering for the entire game until like the last 30 seconds. UCLA was not, there was no point when UCLA was not covering the spread and USC comes back in the very end and, and wins. And I think UCLA is a pretty good squad. You know, I don't think that's a bad win at all. I told people just be happy with a win like that, but you know, what does that look like to the committee? Um, you know, it doesn't look great. So that's kind of where USC is. I, th- I think Helton's done better especially under the circumstances. It's you know nutty. Everyone's do- dealing with a lot of crap. Um, but if you just look at the overall, like, well, how much talent is on the field? How much more talented is USC than the, pl- the teams that they've played? I would say significant. Significant even more than like UCLA, which is a pretty good team, or Utah, or Arizona State, who's recruited pretty well. I'd say USC out-talents all of those teams. So you want to see that kind of be reflected on the field. And you know, you could argue it was against Washington State and to you know some level against Utah, but certainly not in the other three games. And uh, I think that's where the committee's looking. Okay, why don't we do this? Why don't we take a quick break and we're going to come back and we're going to talk to my buddy uh, Matt Preem previewing USC and Oregon.
All right, as promised, we are joined by Matt Preem. Follow him on Twitter at M-A-T-T-P-R-E-H-M. Does a great job at Duck Territory here on the 24-7 Sports Network, of course, covering the Oregon Ducks. Matt, how you doing, man? Doing all right. Uh, a little all over the place. We've got signing day. All of a sudden, we've got a, a college football game where Oregon's playing for a Pac-12 championship. Didn't know who the opponent was going to be, and coaching search or I guess monitoring a potential coaching search. So it's, it's all over the place right now up, up here in Eugene. It's crazy. Yeah. Here in LA too. It's pretty nuts. Um, you're doing like, you know, radio stuff. You're doing whatever talking about, Oh, there's a Pac-12 championship game coming yeah, up. Right. Oh, there was college football rankings that came out and the Pac-12 was getting <laughs> screwed. And, oh, by the way, today's signing day. Like, what are you talking about? So we we're like, yeah, we're going to do the preview show on the early signing day because there's just really no other time to do it. So thanks exactly. for coming on in this busy day. Exactly. It's uh, it's a little hectic. It's a little crazy, but I am thankful that it's crazy because, hey, four or five months ago, we weren't sure if this was even going to happen. That's a really good point. You count your blessings. And these are, you know, the fact that we're able to do this now is a blessing. I, I'm not a huge fan of when they put the early signing period. I thought they'd move it for the pandemic. Obviously, they did not. Um, it's just to have this happen during championship week, uh, when coaches are potentially going to be fired or leaving and things like that. It just seems like there's a lot going on right now. They could put this, this day could be, it's a great day on its own. It doesn't need, it's like, well, you know, I love New Year's and Christmas is great. Let's just put them on the same day. Like it just exactly. doesn't seem to make much sense. Exactly. It's a little different. Um, I was expecting like you to maybe see them push it back to just the, the traditional February. I mean, you and I have covered this long enough where that used to be the only day. Um, that's kind of what I was expecting them to do is just maybe see if something changed to allow players to go out and visit schools. But nonetheless, they didn't. And it's crazy. It's, this is the second time and, and Mario Cristobal is now three years as head coach that, uh, he's had to do this when he, he replaced Willie Taggart like the week of signing day. So, and then they played a bowl game, uh, against Boise state that week as well. So, He's, this is his second time, I guess, now in four classes that he's he's had to juggle playing a game plus recruiting. Yeah, there's a lot going on, and these coaches do have to juggle quite a bit. Before we, you know, we're going to talk about the game and, and the circumstances and all that, but what uh, you, the Oregon Ducks have the number one class right now in the 24-7 sports rankings. USC's uh, behind them. Maybe give the, you know, the 30,000-foot view for USC fans, what kind of uh, class this is shaping up to be for the Ducks. Yeah, it's the best class in school history, regardless of who else they add. Um, we're not – even if Jonathan Flo ends up not signing, I mean, he, he's the lone guy that's, uh, that's committed that hasn't signed, and that, that was expected. He's going to do it in February. Um, but even if he doesn't sign, this is the best class in school history, and it's – the last couple of years, they've really hit home on the defensive side of the football to restock their talent there. Um, and this year, it was the opposite. It was offense. And you know, they've got the two top tackles out west. Uh, they've got you know, the top receiver out west. They've got another elite you know, top 50-ish. You know, Dante Thornton's 53rd in the country. So I'll say 55th you know, best player in the country overall, another top receiver. Um, they, they signed the top in-state guy, Keith Brown, an inside linebacker, and they signed some really good tight ends. Uh, this was an offensive class. Uh, that did, I haven't even gotten to Ty Thompson, uh, the you know, four-star quarterback, top 40 player overall. Um, this is a class in which Oregon is expecting a lot of these guys to 
potentially be starters next year uh, or or starters in 2022. So, uh, yeah, best class in history. That's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, last, last year, USC had its worst class in history, but they bounced back and it's a much better one. And it should be a top 10-ish kind of class. But these are the two most, I would say, the most talented teams yes. you know, in the Pac-12. Uh, USC won some nail biters, uh, you could say. And, you know, the Ducks got, uh, you know, they lost the last couple of games, you know, where they yep. looked like they would win the games and didn't. Um, coming into this game, where do you, you know, on a two-game losing streak, where do you assess where the, uh, the Mario Cristobal's Ducks are right now? Well, defensively, they played their best game of the year against Cal two weeks ago. Now, the, you wonder, is that because it's Cal? Or is it because of what Oregon did? I think it's probably a combination of both. Um, Cal only scored 21 points. They lost the game, which is unacceptable. But from a defensive standpoint, that was their most uh, collected game, you know, their best performance of the year. Um, they've been it's, – it's, it's an upside-down year. If 2020, everyone goes, oh, it's 2020. Uh, it, it explains everything. And for Oregon, it, it, it's such an upside-down year because we went into this year thinking, hey, this defense is going to be – even with – the guys sitting out Brady breeze, who's the Rose bowl MVP safety Javon Holland, who is a first round draft pick projected uh, by multiple outlets, Nickelback, Thomas Graham, a four year starter or expected to be a four year starter at cornerback statistically their best guy the last couple of seasons. And then, you know, they had a couple graduations, Troy die, even with all of those guys gone, everyone was still expecting this defense going into the year to be one of, the best in the country maybe not the best but in that discussion and the offense would be the weak link of this team because herbert's gone five starters along the offensive line are gone their tight end is gone and new offense under joe moorhead the offensive coordinator and no spring football and so everyone just assumed the defense was going to be this lights out unit I, I, myself included and it's been the opposite they can't stop the run uh, they're good against the pass, but but teams have been able to run all over them. Uh, they're tackling the last two seasons, last year in particular, they were unbelievably good at tackling one-on-one -on -one situations. They may give up a yard or two. The ball carrier may fall forward one yard or two yards, but you knew last year that, hey, in a one-on-one -on -one situation, the guy's going to go down. He's not going to juke the, the, the duck defender and make a, a big game. Very rarely did that happen. Quite opposite this year. They can't tackle very well. Uh, they Honestly, they just don't look like they're in shape, and that goes back to you know, Oregon wasn't able to work out this summer uh, uh, traditionally like they normally would. They Their training has been altered. They didn't have spring football. And the offense has been good, which is just weird because there's so many new faces. They've got – you know, from a yards per game perspective, they're the top comp, you know top offense in the conference. From a yards per play perspective, they're the top offense in the conference. Uh, Tyler Shuck is one of the you know quarterback rating wise one of the best quarterbacks in the country at that uh, top twenty ish level. And it it's weird. You you look at this and understand well maybe the defense would would carry this team, and that's been the issue is the, the defense this year has just not been good, and that's why they've lost these games. Uh, at least the Oregon State. The Oregon State one was unacceptable of how they lost that football game. Uh, they, they were ran over by Jamar Jefferson. 
and and then you know they they couldn't stop the past because they couldn't stop the run. Yeah, uh, Jamar Jefferson's just an absolute stud. Yeah, and uh, you know Jebia, he's done pretty well when he's got a good run game with him. Cal's only win of the year is against Oregon. Like, how weird is that? How twenty twenty <laughs> is that? Cal is one and three, and they beat Oregon. Like, yeah, it, it it was a deal in which look the, like. I'm sure you've had some of these moments covering USC where it's just flat out unacceptable. When you look at the talent from the two teams, Oregon's talent and, and Cal's talent, like to lose to both Oregon state and Cal in the same year is flat out unacceptable. And Oregon is kind of in a lucky predicament where, you know, they're in a, in a spot where they could win on Friday night. It kind of, eliminates all the negative feelings you have the last two weeks of losing to Oregon State and losing to Cal. What do you make of that situation, how the Pac-12 handled this? Obviously, it's a, it's a good opportunity for the Ducks to be able to – you thought they'd represent the North. Uh, they sort of kind of back into it. You know, not their fault they didn't get to play Washington. Um, but it's – I wasn't real happy with the way the conference handled all this stuff. I mean, I, yeah. as, we're, as we're talking, we know the Colorado – um, equipment truck is somewhere halfway between Boulder and Los Angeles, just waiting to see which direction it needs to go in case it needs to go to Los Angeles. That just seems like it's poorly handled by the Pac-12. But how, what did you make of all of that? Yeah, this whole thing, this whole year has been just a cluster from a conference perspective. From shutting the season down and thinking the Big Ten, because the Big Ten did it, to then not expecting the Big Ten to reverse course and all of a sudden be left like, well, wait a minute, what's going on? I thought we weren't playing. Now we are? Like, okay. Um, I, I know schools, multiple schools, were ready to play a week earlier than the, the original start date in November. We could have gotten at least one more game in from a conference standpoint or at least had a buffer week where a game could get made up. Um, and now as they've – handle this championship it's a joke i mean the fact that the league comes forward and announces that usc and washington are playing in the conference championship game like i don't I, that's okay I, I had no problem with that i thought it was odd timing to do it while usc was playing um but that that game didn't have any kind of impact on it but to not then come forward and say like we already knew for multiple days that washington was dealing with a COVID situation and that their ability to play in the game was up in the air at best. It was probably more un highly unlikely that they were going to play. And the league didn't come out and say, Washington is in, but if they don't, if they can't for sure commit to playing this football game by Monday or Sunday, Oregon will automatically move up into that spot. Or if they come out and say, you know, if, if Washington can't play, we'll reevaluate. And we're going to maybe figure out if, if we do the best two teams from a record and ranking standpoint, which would be Colorado and USC. Like we've seen the big 10 alter their qualifications to get yeah. Ohio state in. We've seen the ACC alter their qualifications. It just seems so weird to me that the league just didn't have any idea. I mean, I asked the league on, on Saturday night, like, late Saturday night, hey, what's the policy here for, for UW? And I got back a, a, a statement, not a statement, but a clarification from the league that just basically said, we don't know, we're working through all the contingencies for what could happen with Washington. And it's like, how did you not know? Like, the, the Huskies have been in this predicament for two yeah. days now. Right, I mean, and when, the, when uh, Jimmy Lake talked, they said, well, 
there's no offensive linemen. None of them are available. And the entire team is in quarantine. You're like, well, okay. That's when Larry Scott's got to step in and go, hey, guys, we're not waiting for you. You're out. Like, here's the, whatever the contingency plan is, we're invoking it now. Not, well, we'll see what happens. Like, you have to just, you have to call it. It's like, there's no pulse. Like, you can't, you can't have no offensive line and expect to play. So, uh, just poor, poor leadership. I much, it's, maybe you can disagree with me, Ryan, but I don't think USC, even if they blow out Oregon, on Friday night is going to get into the college football playoff. They're going to need a lot of help. Oh, no um, way. Yeah. And so my idea was, look, we already understand the, the PAC 12 is probably not making the playoff. They, they needed both these two schools to be undefeated coming into this game to, to, to do it. And that was the best case scenario, but, and we're not there. Um, so why not just play Colorado versus USC this Saturday? Why not? If you could have done it, play Oregon versus Washington and play the conference championship game next week over Christmas. And I understand it, it, you know, the, the college football playoffs, you know, their timing is going to come out and, and their release dates are before that date. But that way we at least have both divisions decided on the field because neither team, Oregon and USC didn't play the, the first place team that's Oregon playing Washington or USC playing the second place team in, in the conference, which is Colorado. It just seems so. This this conference is no forward thinking, no like three thousand, you know, thirty thousand feet look at the league of perspective and, and everything like that. And not to go down on a tangent, but just the quicker <laughs> this conference can get out of Larry Scott's employment, the better it will be. Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, all right, well, let's turn to the game. Because it's still going to play. Uh, yeah. As of now, there, there's going to be a game in two days, which is crazy. But that's going to happen. Um, you mentioned all five starting offensive linemen. And, you know, Penny Sewell, uh, you know, ends up opting out. Justin Herbert tearing it up in the in the NFL for the Chargers, just you know, right here in Los Angeles. Um, what about some of the guys that are there? You know, what does uh, Tyler Shuck look like? Uh, Devin Williams, who was a former USC right. player, looks like he's, st- you know, stud there. CJ Verdell's still back. Like, what's the offense look like? Verdell is up and down, and it's, it's been his, his career. It wouldn't surprise me if he comes out and has a huge game because he's had three really bad games the last couple of weeks. Travis Dye, his backup, a fellow junior, um, has probably been the most explosive player on this team this year. Um, I, I want to double-check it, but I know after the Cal game, his average per reception was like 41 yards this season. Um, he, he's a dual threat guy at running back, receiving and rushing kind of their bright spot at that running back spot. I wouldn't say Verdell's had a very good year um, rushing the football for Oregon this year up front along the offensive line. Um, they've got some guys that are looking like NFL potential. Um, most notably Malasala Amave Lalu. Uh, I butcher his name all the time, but <laughs> right tackle, Six foot six, 330 pounds, was a junior college, you know, one of the top junior college prospects a couple years ago. And he redshirted last year because they didn't need him because of how loaded the unit was. Um, Stephen Jones is uh, is another guy that's going to have NFL potential as a sophomore and um, same class as Penny Sewell. And he redshirted last year as well as a redshirt, as a freshman, as a sophomore, um, I should say. And then Tyler Shuck, I mean, the fan base here is a little – you either love Tyler Shuck if you're an Oregon Duck fan up here or you are convinced that Ty Thompson, the 
four-star recruit will be the starting quarterback for Oregon next year. But I, personally, I, I, I look at him and think he's having a really good sophomore year with the conditions that he was dealt of no spring football, new offensive line, and new offense. Uh, you know, before Keaton Slovis threw what, like five touchdown passes in the first quarter against Washington State, he was leading the league in, in touchdown passes. He's second now with 11. Uh, his quarterback rating is the best in the conference. His completion percentage is in the low 60s, but it's it's I, I think it's solid. Um, he makes some plays that are that are really good, and then he makes some really poor throws that have cost them the games. I mean, he he threw a deadly interception against Oregon State, which allowed the Beavers to win that game. Um, he threw another bad pick against Cal. Uh, he also had bad luck where he threw a, he he threw a pass to Johnny Johnson for a first down as they were looking like they were going to beat Cal on a game-winning drive, and then Johnny Johnson had the ball fumbled. Um, so I, I look at Shuck and think, this is a guy that next year we'll be talking about as probably the second or third best quarterback in the conference behind Slovis, behind um, uh, Jaden Daniels at, at Arizona State. Statistically, he's putting up numbers that are better than Justin Herbert in his first year as a starting quarterback at Oregon. It's just – he's being held to, uh, I think, an unfair expectation within the Oregon fan base that he needs to be Justin Herbert of 2019, which is just unfair for him. Yeah. No, that's not, that's not fair. What, what have you thought of Devin Williams so far? Uh, when Devin Williams is healthy, he is basically the difference of this offense. Um, he did not play against California. Crystal Ball said he will play this week against USC. Uh, and we saw, you know, a couple games before that, back-to-back 100-yard games, the big play threat that, you know, Shuck could just throw the football up and Devin Williams would go win it in a one-on-one or sometimes one-on-two situations. Um, the first couple of weeks, it was a slow roll for, for Devin Williams. And when he finally had that big game against UCLA, Cristobal came out and said that he has been tougher on Devin Williams than anyone in the program because – Devin Williams' potential is untapped and is unlimited. And it's getting him to come to practice every single day and consistently bring it and so that you bring it on Saturdays or whenever game day is, this case being a Friday. Uh, he, he is the difference for this offense. If he can't play against USC, um, I, for whatever reason, if there's a hiccup in his injury, then uh, I, I don't have a lot of confidence that Oregon will beat USC. If he does play, I, I think Oregon's going to have you know a, a good shot at, at getting this upset, as, as air quotes smallish as I possibly can. I think it's what a one point margin for USC, maybe two. Um, he's he's the wild card for me on offense for Oregon. You talk about the secondary a little bit. There've been some defections, but you know there's still some uh, studs back there like Deamador Lenore. Um, you know USC fans are familiar with Kate on Thibodeau. Uh, you know, guys like a, a Justin Flo that you know were top recruits here on the West Coast. Who's kind of stood out for you on defense and how you know how how they've looked so far in 2020? Yeah, Diamond Lenore is their top cover guy, and going into the Cal game, he'd only allowed two receptions all year, and then he allowed three in that one. Um, but they weren't for a lot of yards. I, I think it was like three catches for for like 20 yards. So uh, I wouldn't worry too much about that he's an NFL cornerback um I do wonder about the safety positions Verone McKinley is good he's a sophomore 5'11 he started last year for Oregon's defense but the overall unit 
from both field safety and boundary safety is just not as talented as it was last year, which is strange because Nick Pickett is basically a four-year starter and he's back, but they, he hasn't played well. And the guys behind him, Jordan Happel, a, a transfer from Boise State, Bennett Williams, a junior college transfer, who was a freshman All-American at Illinois, uh, and then Steve Stevens, a sophomore. They just haven't had the same production that they got last year with um, Brady Breeze manning that game you know, in the safety spot against USC, and then as, as well as Javon Holland being back there. Jamal Hills filled in for, for uh, Javon Holland, and I think Hills had – He's had some really good moments. He's also had some, some you know, green, green experience, you know, lack of experience production, and he's been picked on a little bit. Washington State picked on Oregon's nickel and, and safety's pretty hard with their air raid, or I guess they're run and shoot now. Um, I look at this unit and think they're good, but the depth of this unit has been hit because of those, ex, you know, those unexpected departures from the three guys who opted out. And it's all come in the secondary and it's forced a couple guys who were maybe asked to be the program's fifth, sixth, and seventh best defensive backs to now be, you know, their, their third, fourth, and fifth guys. And, it, and we're seeing these guys have the, the inconsistencies of youth and, and growing. And, it, you know, I think they'll be a lot better next year. Um, it's just this year it, they're kind of caught behind the eight ball and it's hard to, to develop. Um, up front, it's weird. Kayvon Thibodeau is a stud. Uh, he is tremendous against the run now. He was not good against the run last year. He's their best overall defensive player. But then you look at the other guys, all, you know, Jordan Scott and Austin Folio, two seniors, guys that started last year. You know, Jordan Scott's a four-year starter. Austin Folio has been in and out of the starting lineup all four years at Oregon, except for this year he's been a full-time starter. The guys behind them, Popo Amave, Christian Williams, Brandon Dorless, and Keon Ware Hudson, uh, all those guys played last year for Oregon. And yet this unit, just for whatever reason, can't stop the run. It, it's it's a weird predicament. They were so good against it last year. Um, if USC was the traditional USC, where they had the fullback and the double tight ends, and the, you know they, they would rotate three running backs out there and, and, and have 2,500 yards rushing on the year, I would be really concerned because – that's their weak point, you know, run right at them. Jordan Scott has, has not been good against the run. And if USC, to me, it's like if USC can run the football and just milk the clock, they might be able to win this game by a touchdown, maybe, maybe a little bit more than that. Um, but if they're going to air rate it out, that kind of plays away from Oregon's weakness and into Oregon's strength on defense. Yeah, and USC is probably going to be without – their top rusher, Favai Malapai, uh, he sprained his knee, MCL sprain against uh, UCLA. So it'll be interesting to see what what USC does. They didn't run well against Washington State. Um, they ran better against UCLA, but now, like I said, the, all that rushing was basically from one guy, and he probably won't play in this one. So that's that'll be a, a matchup to watch for sure. Um, what about special teams? How has the cool. Ducks done on special teams so far this year? This has been a disaster. Um, their field goal unit. <laughs> You're like, this has been a disaster. Like, oh, okay. All right, here we go. <laughs> their their kickoff unit has been okay. Um, their punt unit has been okay. Punt return has been has been okay. Kickoff return is good. Um, we all know about Michael Wright. He's still back there returning kicks. Um, 
and teams still continue to kick to him uh, back-to-back weeks against UCLA and also uh, against Washington State. Teams kicked to him, and, and he had big, big returns uh, that, that kind of altered the course of those performances. And I think the USC fans don't need to be reminded about him um, from last year. Yeah. Field goal unit, it's a mystery. Um, Camden Lewis had the job early on in the year, and this was a case in which he was awful last year, and everyone was kind of like, oh, boy, shaky whenever he goes out. And, and is going to kick a field goal. And, I mean, he, he couldn't hit anything. And I don't mean to be so negative towards him, but, I mean, it's obvious now that he was he's not a good kicker. I would be surprised if, if he's on the team next year, if he doesn't transfer somewhere else, because he's been replaced by a walk-on. He, Camden Lewis is a scholarship kicker. He's been replaced by a walk-on. Henry Cattleman, who played his first game uh, as a kicker, in any level of football against Oregon state when they made the change. <laughs> um, and the, the weird thing here is, is that against Cal Cal, he, he's two for two on field goals, which is significantly better than what Lewis was. But Cattleman, the, the weirdest thing is like Lewis couldn't hit a kick from 30 yards and it wouldn't even be close to the goalposts. It'd be wide, right or wide left or short. Cattleman comes out against Cal and they, they get his touchdown there's a, a, a false start on the PAT. They move it back five yards. Then there's a hands-to-the-face 15-yard penalty on Oregon. They move it back 15 more yards, and they end up ultimately kicking a 41-yard PAT, and he kicks it right down the pipes as if it was like a 55-yarder. And the 41-yard PAT is the longest field goal Oregon – would have been the longest field goal Oregon made in three years. Wow. And so, like, he's he's made two, two attempts from really short. He made a – uh, Oregon faced a fourth and two at the Cal two, uh, and they made it. They, they elected to kick a field goal. We can argue about that decision another time. Um, yeah. And then they did another in red zone field goal attempt against the Beavers. So he hasn't kicked a, an, an attempt from a long distance. But based off that PAT, you wonder. Well, maybe he is good from fifty yards. But the question is, like, what took him so long to make this? De- the swap because he's been good in the limited series we've seen, but it's also a guy in which, boy, I wouldn't want to trot out a kicker who's playing his third game in any level of football with the Pac-12 championship game and a, a berth in the Fiesta Bowl on the line for Oregon. Yeah, that's a, that's wild. So was he like a soccer player or something, or why why was that his first kick? Ever? I think he was a soccer player. He walked onto the team last year, um, and it just we we never heard much about him. It was the weirdest thing, like. It, it was a guy that just uh, – he somehow was able to earn, you know, show up to a walk-on that tryout that Oregon does every fall and um, showed off his leg, made the team, but he'd never played football before. And it was just like, hey, yeah, I can kick this ball really far. I think I can help you out. And now he's the, the starting place kicker. Wow, crazy. Um, well, I mean, it's, like you mentioned, don't think the spread is very big. I've seen like between like one and three points – uh on the usc side how do you think this one is uh is gonna go it's hard to say you know we've seen teams you know off a forced bye week either look good or look bad it's hard to say you know it's hard to tell but what how do you think oregon's gonna look here and how do you think the game's gonna unfold i think oregon plays up and plays down to their level of competition um i think that's a bad sign if you're a coach um but nonetheless this program plays up and they play down 
and they've played bad the last two weeks and they've been publicly and, you know, within closed doors, they've been hammered about their play the last two weeks and the players have come out and said as much as, you know, they're a little embarrassed of how things have happened and, you know, they know that they're a lot better than what they've shown the last two weeks. I think USC probably wins this game. Um, and I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth and give you both answers, but it's, it's, I'm not going to be shocked if Oregon wins. I think they lose, but I look at this and think this is a game that Oregon can win. They're going to play up to their level of competition. USC, like you said, they, their running backs are out, and that's kind of the, the weakness of, of Oregon's defense. Um, I think the offense is good, but it's all going to be dependent upon if, if USC can turn the, the Ducks over. I think, what, USC is like plus five or plus six this year, this year in turnover margin. Yeah. Um, Oregon's the opposite, and it's going to boil down to just turnovers, I think. If, if Oregon doesn't turn the football over, they're going to have a shot to win this in the fourth quarter. Um, if they do have some turnovers, I don't think I don't see them winning. Uh, I, I see USC winning this game probably by two or three points. It would it would surprise me more uh, if this was a blowout than if Oregon pulled off the upset. I agree with you there. Yeah, I mean, I could see either team winning this one. I do think it'll be somewhat close. And but I think both teams tend to you know they're talented and they tend to play at a level of competition. Well, now you're playing another team that has a lot of talent, so it, yeah. there could be some fireworks. You know. It, it, it should be a fun one. The fact that this game is played in L.A., and I think while fans aren't there um, and family members won't be able to watch, there's just something about Oregon teams when they're talented coming down to L.A. and playing in that game because a lot of the guys are from the area, and they either grew up wanting to play for USC or they were spurned by USC or they know you know some of their best friends are on USC's team. And you know we just seem to – to get some of the best games uh, from Southern California guys when, when these two teams play down there um, happens every once in a while in Eugene, but typically we see Oregon play a lot better when, when they're going down to Southern California. And I'll be curious to see if that translates again uh, this time around, but I, I think USC wins probably like if I had to give a score, probably something like 30 to 27. That's kind of what I would, I would, I would lean on right now. All right. Um, the, the, Ducks played only, I think, two home games this year because the Washington game got canceled. Yep. Were were family allowed to attend? Was no. That... Nope. No oh, family. They were, they were not allowed to attend. I, I don't know if that's the case at USC. Same um, thing. Same thing. It, yeah. It's a weird deal. Autzen Stadium is probably the toughest place to play in the Pac-12, and going and watching a football game with no crowd is mind-boggling. Yeah. It's. I went to the Rose Bowl. I. Hadn't been covering the home games because we were limited credentials, so I let the rest of my team go. Um, but I covered the Rose Bowl. And, yeah, it's just bizarre being in a stadium and watching the field and seeing something, and you're like, okay, that's exciting. I'm waiting. <laughs> there's, like a, there's a noise that comes along with yep. this. And, yep. Um, it's like watching a TV on mute or something. You're like, what's going on? I'm like, it was, yeah. it was very strange. Yeah, it's, very, it's like watching those, like, 11 p.m., overseas soccer games in empty stadiums yeah bizarre all right well matt hey appreciate it so much thank you uh for coming on absolutely all right uh make sure you guys go check out duck territory for all the info on the ducks heading into this game it's only a couple days away so thanks so much everyone for tuning into the peristyle podcast and we will talk to you next time
you've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 